All right. Well, good morning. Uh, since during the announcements time, there's about four of us here, and we filled out just a, the, your weekly reminder service does start at 9 o'clock. Go ahead and, uh, you know, do this. Happy New Year. Yes, there we go. We finally get a response here. Grab your Bibles, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And by the way, if you don't have a Bible, right over here at our welcome desk, we've got some blue softback Bibles that we'd love for you to have and to keep and to make yours. So go ahead and flip with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Now, here's what we're going to do. Each year, we begin our first two, three, four weeks of the year with what we just call our prayer series. And the prayer series works like this. We're going to talk about some things that are particularly close to our hearts, particularly close to what we're passionate about. I'm going to attempt to, hear me, attempt to shorten the sermon, to leave some time on the back end of the sermon for some corporate prayer. All right, we're going to pray more today than we do in a typical gathering, not because we think prayer is not worth it. Uh, we're just going to make some extra special time for it today. So here's how it's going to work this year. We're going to do three weeks this year. Today, I'm going to share some inward hopes for our church, what we feel God has in store for us as a church body. Next week, we're going to talk about some of our outward hopes. What's the flow of what God is doing here into our community? And then the third week, we're, we're going to jump into the book of Mark, and I'm just going to do an overview. And we're going to pray for the next 48, 49 weeks that we're going to spend in the book of Mark, okay? So that's where we're going to go, three weeks of prayer. Uh, and what I want to do before we jump jump into the text is I just want to start it off with just an extended prayer. I want us to pray a prayer of reflection on 2020, right? Even though 2020 was just by all accounts a really weird year, it was not a wasted year. God did incredible things in my heart, in my home, in your hearts, in your homes, and in our church. And then we're going to pray a prayer of anticipation for 2021, what we're praying for God to do this year, okay? So just bow your heads, close your eyes, and join me in a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you um, that even in weird years, they're not wasted years. You waste nothing. You have not wasted a single second of any of our lives. And everything you're doing, you are doing to draw us closer to your heart and to, to, to draw more fame and glory to your name. And so God, we do thank you for 2020. We thank you for the ways in which you revealed to us in our own hearts the, the idols that we're clinging tightly to, the, the sin that we, we have tendency to run to so that we can root those things out and chase after you and you alone. God, we thank you that in 2020, you showed yourself to be sufficient, to be powerful, to be without need, that all around us things are collapsing and falling and yet your kingdom and your church is still standing and you are a God that is present in the mess and you are working powerfully. And so we thank you for the ways in which you showed us that, where you flexed your muscles for us in 2020. And God, in looking forward to 2021, we ask for more of that. We ask that you would show yourself again to be more glorious than we ever thought, to be more powerful than we ever thought, to be more present than we ever thought. God, we ask that you would continue to give us abundant mercy and grace for our daily living. And God, we ask that you would draw us closer to yourself than ever before and that our lives would be all about the worship of your glorious name. And so Father, in 2021, we ask that you would make Story Church a place of revival, revival that begins 
begins with repentance, that we would repent of turning from you and we would trust in you and you alone. And that in this place, by your spirit's power, with the word of God at the center, you would begin a revival where we are closer to you than ever before. And people who are far off, not yet believers, would be drawn to your presence, would be drawn to your heart, and would be drawn by your gospel. They would repent and trust in you alone. God, would you use us in that way? We know you are able to do that because you are all powerful. We pray, God, you would be willing. Would you do this, Father, for your name and your name alone? Christ's name, amen. Amen, amen. All right, so for today, some of our hopes and our heart for Story Church just inwardly, okay? So if you're not a member here, maybe this is your first time here, you're new to the area, you're joining us online for the first time, we want you to listen in because this is what we're about. We wanna invite you, join us every week, jump in here, become a member here, serve here, make 2021 the year where you're more generous and more servant-hearted to your church than ever before. This is the phrase for 2021 that I want us to have in our hearts, I want us to cling to. Our hope for Story Church is that we would get after God in worship and get after our sin in war. This is about worship and war, that we would worship God and God alone, and that when God reveals to us the areas of our hearts that are not following him, the areas of our hearts that are in sin, that we would war with that sin, we would attack that sin, and we would turn back to God again and again and again. We would get after God in worship and get after our sin in war. All right, so that's just the two parts for today, getting after God in worship and our sin in war. Let's begin with the first one. What does it mean for us that our hope is for us to get after God in worship. So that text that you just heard read by Jasmine, it kind of works like a sandwich, all right? Verse one and then verses five and six are the two pieces of bread with the meat in the middle. But the first verse and verses five and six are all about worshiping God, beholding God, looking at Jesus Christ, that the call of the Christian is to get after God in worship. Let me, let me show you that from the text. Paul begins 2 Corinthians 4 with the word, therefore. That therefore is just a bridge word. Paul is about to tell us some things, but before he tells us those things, he wants to connect back to what he just told us in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And so here's what Paul's doing in 2 Corinthians 3. He's comparing for the Christian the old covenant and the new covenant. So if you're new to the Bible, here's how that works. There's two covenants in the Bible. There's the covenant of law or the covenant of works, and then there's the covenant of grace. The covenant of law is like this. God has given us some demands. He has told us how to live, and because he is perfect and holy, he absolutely demands from us righteous living and total and full-fledged obedience to his law. But in our sin, right from the start, our hearts wandered from him, disobeyed his his law and utterly failed to fulfill the law. We have failed to fulfill the works of the covenant. Therefore, because God is righteous and just, he punishes us in our sin. And this is a completely just punishment. However, God also set up a divine rescue plan in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And this is called the covenant of grace. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, takes on flesh and he perfectly fulfills the covenant of the law, the covenant of works. He never one time fails in thought, word, or deed. And then he dies the death that we deserve as punishment of our failure. And he grants to us, he exchanges with us his record 
his works. And this is all by grace. So now when God looks on the Christian, he doesn't see all of our failure in the past, but he sees the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we are now under the covenant of grace. And the capstone of 2 Corinthians 3 is verses 16 through 18. Look at it with me. Paul writes this, 2 Corinthians 3. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the, into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. In other words, Paul says, when we are in our sin, there's a veil covering our eyes. We are blinded to see the beauty and the blessing of Jesus. We are blinded to behold our Savior in all of his majesty and beauty. But God, when he sends the Spirit to awaken us to new life, he removes that veil, and now we with unveiled faces can behold Jesus. And the Spirit of the Lord brings freedom to us. And this freedom is freedom from the shackles of sin. This is freedom from death. This is freedom from darkness. This is freedom from Satan. This is freedom from the old man and the flesh and the works of the law. Not only have we been freed from some things, but now because of Jesus, we have been freed to some things. We are freed from sin to be freed up to worship Jesus, to now behold Jesus with unveiled faces unveiled eyes. We can now set our eyesight upon the beauty and the blessing and the majesty and the might of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And then Paul says in verse or chapter four, therefore, having this ministry, this ministry for every Christian, this assignment, this objective has come by the mercy of God. We don't lose heart. Well, what is this ministry Paul's talking about? Well, he just referenced it. It's beholding Jesus. Do you realize like when we become Christians, our primary objective, our primary assignment, our primary calling is not to do something, but it's to look at Jesus who has done everything in our place. And when he hung from a cross, you know what he declared? It is finished. You are no longer under the works of the law, but now Jesus has granted to us his record. So our ministry by the mercy of God is just to worship God, is to look at Jesus. That's amazing. That gives me heart. That gives me excitement. But I guess it's just me. It is January 3rd and it's early and supposedly cold out. Paul says we have this ministry to behold Jesus. That's the first layer of the sandwich. And then the second piece of the bread is down in verses five and six. Jump down there with me. Second Corinthians four, five and six. Paul says, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. With ourselves is your servant for Jesus' sake, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. All right, so here's what Paul's telling us. He's saying, listen, on this other end of beholding Jesus, at, at looking at the beauty of Jesus, we no longer proclaim ourselves, but we proclaim Jesus. Why? 
Well, because in proclaiming ourselves, all we're telling to each other and to this world is sinful and flawed and broken and weak. But in proclaiming Jesus, what we are proclaiming is beauty and life and joy and hope and peace and rest in him. And then, and then Paul says, we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. So part of beholding Jesus and proclaiming Jesus is about submitting to the lordship of Jesus. Our worship always begins with a recognition that Jesus is Lord and we are not. Let me say that again. Jesus is Lord and we are not. Let me say this to myself in front of everyone. I am not Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King. Jesus alone is worthy of worship. And then Paul keeps going and he says, we proclaim Jesus because it is in Jesus that light shines into darkness. Here's how that works. Biblically speaking, light is always life and death or darkness is always death. And so in our sin, we have darkened eyes and darkened hearts and all that comes with the darkness is death. But Jesus Christ comes as the light of the world, the life of the world, and he shines his light into the darkness and darkness and light cannot coexist. He brings life where there is death. And when we come to life in Jesus, we are now awakened to the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So again, this is all about worship. He says, when I breathe life into you, when the spirit breathes life into you, your eyes are now open and you are now awake to what? The glory of God, the immensity of God, the weight of God, the beauty of God, who God is and what God has done. And Paul says, if you're, if you're confused about what this glory of God looks like, well, it's all enveloped in the face of Jesus Christ. If you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. Study the life of Jesus. Consider the ministry of Jesus. Consider the gospel of Jesus, and you will see just how beautiful our God is. So now Paul is saying, you're awakened to that because his light has shown into your heart. You are called to worship Jesus. So in our sin and in our darkness, we are not seeing and savoring and treasuring and beholding Jesus. But when we have new life by the Spirit, we are now awakened to see and savor and treasure and worship Jesus. God in his mercy and his grace has caused the scales to fall off our eyes so we can see Jesus and he has breathed new life into our dead, cold hearts. This is what Christianity's about, the work of Jesus in our place and the calling of the Christian to get after God in worship. Uh, Dutch theologian uh, Herman Bovink wrote this in a book, The Wondrous Works of God. The first line out of the gates is this, God and God alone is man's highest good. God and God alone is man's highest good. Our hope in 2021 is that you would get this that your life would begin there, that every morning when you wake up and your feet hit the floor, you would say to yourself, God and God alone is my highest good. See, here's, here's how life works. Everything that we have comes by the hand of God. It is a gracious and a merciful gift by the hand of God to us. Everything we have, every relationship, every belonging, every dime, everything we ha have comes by the hand of God. But God also gives to all the world good gifts. 
This is called God's common grace, right? So, so think about this with me. No matter who you are, no matter what background you have, no matter what religion you come from, we can all have some things in common when it comes to God's common grace to us. Like, like here's some examples. Stand at the banks of the Pacific and you're gonna be overcome with the immensity and the majesty of the ocean. As far as the eye can see, the constant waves, the beauty of what's going on out there. We all woke up about a week ago and we looked north and what did we see? We saw some mountains that were snow-capped with palm trees in front of it. Like what in the world is that? It's incredible. And we see the beauty of God's creation and anyone, anywhere can be overcome and captivated by that beauty or go to a good steakhouse and get a medium rare ribeye. And what are you gonna do? You're gonna eat that and you're going to enjoy that no matter who you are and no matter where you come from. Now, if you're not a Christian, there's a cap on that experience, right? You're gonna stand at the banks of the Pacific. You're gonna look up at the mountain. You're gonna be in that steakhouse. It's gonna be momentary bliss, but then it wears off. But for the Christian, there is no cap to that. Why? Because everything we have, everything we do rolls up into worship of God, right? So we stand at the banks of the Pacific, we look at the mountain, we see the beauty, and we don't just get captivated by it for a second, but instead we get captivated by God and the worship of how beautiful God is. We eat that medium rare ribeye and we're overcome with worship. Why? Because God would give us flavors like that. I mean, come on. That's insane. God would put that together? Or we could talk about Taco Bell, right? Like I will, I will go, I will go. I don't, I'll stop there because I got to be tight on time today. We enjoy intimacy with a spouse and it's worship. We have laughter with friends and it's worship. We read the scriptures and it's worship for the Christian. Why? Because we see that it's all come by the gracious and merciful hand of God. God and God alone is our highest good. Now, here's where things go sideways for us. We take these common graces from God. We take these experiences that God gifts to us, and we elevate them to God things, right? We worship creation over creator. We worship the gift over the giver, and we begin to declare with our hearts and our minds and our living that something else Else other than God is my highest good, right? We may never verbalize these words, but in our living, we are proclaiming it, that wealth and wealth alone is my highest good, that my only satisfaction can come when I have enough money in the bank account to not worry about things. We begin to declare that, that, that uh, sexual satisfaction is my highest good. I'm gonna go anywhere and to anyone to find those things. And, and that, that thing, that thing alone can truly satisfy me. It is my good. We, we talk about materialism and accruing stuff and belongings where we just kind of numb ourselves by buying more stuff. And we say that and that alone is my highest good. Experiences, applause from people, relationships, the right government, adultery, gluttony, whatever it might be, we say with our living that this thing is my highest good and God is not. But church, we know you will, but we want for you to be disappointed by those things. Those things will ultimately let you down and fail you and leaving you hanging out to dry. 
That's what's going to happen. Instead, what we want this year for our church is that we would get after God in worship. We would wake up and say, God and God alone is my highest good, that we would hunger and thirst for Jesus Christ, for our good God, and that he alone would truly satisfy us. Now, how do we get there? What does that look like? I want to get down into the weeds of of some of the practicals here for a second. And here's kind of the, the governing verse for us. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says this, Paul writes, so whether you eat or drink, whatever, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. All that you do, whatever you do, Christian, is, is supposed to be sourced in and about the glory of God, the worship of God's name, which means for the Christian, there's no such thing as a compartmentalized life. There is no such thing as a life separate from the the worship of God's glorious name. Everything we do, every breath we take, every decision we make is about the glory of God. So let me walk through some layers of how we can do this, okay? First, the word of God, okay? The quickest path to the worship of God is a life lived in the word of God. The quickest path to worship of God is a life lived in the word of God. If we are not living consciously with a submission to the authority of the scriptures in our lives, we will not be living a life of worship. We'll have a broken down view of who God is. We'll have a broken down view of what God has done. And his word will not be governing our lives and our worship. It's really that simple. God has chosen to reveal himself through his word primarily. So we go to his word to know who he is and to know how to worship him. Which is why, church, we're beginning in three weeks from now with 48 weeks in the book of Mark right? Our eyes can begin to glaze over a little bit, like 48 weeks, that's a long time. But let me remind you, the word of God is not boring. The word of God is an endless well that we will forever explore and be captivated by. And so we're going to gear up for that. We're going to get into that. We're not going to deviate from that. I'm stoked on that. All right, next week, we're going to have for you little crossway Bible journals. Uh, It's it's going to be the the gospel of Mark on one side. And on the other side, it's just going to be a place for us to take notes. And we want to deep dive together into God's word to know how to worship him rightly. In conjunction with that sermon series, what we're going to do is we're going to roll out a church-wide Bible reading plan, okay? It's going to be tailored for you. It's going to be on our website or app. We're going to figure out all the ways to get it to you, but we're going to read the word of God together and be shaped corporately together by the word of God. And so when you come to me and you want to meet and and maybe something's broken down in your life, or maybe you're having an issue and you're going to say to me, hey, here's what's going on. My first question is going to be, are you reading the word? Get in the word and let's do it together. Second, prayer. Prayer is about worship of God. The, The word most naturally propels us forward into a life of prayer. As we see and we know and we experience God through his word, it naturally erupts in a life of prayer. Why? Because we learn that God wants to talk with us, right? All of our kids that have been in Story Kids, they know this. This is one of our foundational truths that God wants to talk with us. Let me remind you, the all-powerful God of the universe who created everything bends his knee and inclines his ear to hear us God wants to talk with us. He wants us to praise him in our prayers. He wants us to petition him in our prayers. He wants to, uh, to draw us up into his presence by uh, our prayers, which is, which is why um, we're going to get back to quarterly, if not monthly, prayer nights, okay? 
Now, I've said this before and I'll keep saying this. One of the primary ways we're gonna measure health in the life of our church is through how prayer services go, prayer gatherings, right? So I wanna start setting up like this for prayer gatherings. We usually set up for about, I don't know, four people, maybe 20. We start blowing it out and adding chairs when when 18 people show up. I wanna set up like this. Why? Because God's beginning revival through our prayer that we are corporately getting after him in prayer. And if I keep talking, I'm not gonna leave any time for prayer here today. Number three, community. When the previous two fail, when we fail to be in the word. All right. We fail to get in the word when we fail to pray. That's where community comes to spur us on to worship. Let let me say this. Community is not about friendship, all right? Friendship is a byproduct of community, okay? It's a byproduct. Community is about worship. Community is about where our friends tell us, hey, lift your eyes. Don't look at yourself. Don't look at your situation. Look at King Jesus and worship him alone. Get, Get in a home group. We've got them going all over the city, all over the week, and there's always opportunities to connect. Number four, the gathering. This gathering is about worship. This is not an event. Let me say this again. This is not an event. This is a worship gathering. That's why we're here. Uh, Recently, Gallup did a study across America where they were asking a variety of Americans from different backgrounds, hey, how's your mental health status in 2020, right? And we all know how that question went in 2020. So asking people from every different background, ethnicity, education status, income status, all those kind of things. And every single category had a sharp decline in mental health in 2020, except one category. And that category was the the people who prioritized weekly religious gatherings. This place, I don't know about you, but digital gathering for five, six months, man, that was crushing my soul. We get together and it became a lifeline for me each week to be with you, to sing to and about God, to sit under God's word. This place is about worship. Make the decision in 2021 that you're gonna be here every week. And parents in the the gathering, let me speak to you in particular. Uh, When we, listen, Sunday morning is a Saturday night decision, okay? We understand that, right? Sunday morning is a Saturday night decision. And when we make the decision to not be at this gathering because we want to stay in our PJs or it's cold out or I stayed up a little late or drank a little too much on Saturday night. Here's what we're communicating to our kids. My comfort is more of a priority priority to me than God's worship. Be here. Show your kids who God is and how precious he is to you and your home. The gathering is about worship. Let's keep moving here. Work. Work is not divorced from worship. We are created in the image of a working God. Therefore, we are working people where we bring order out of chaos, where we bring beauty out of ashes. So wherever you are, your job is not just a job. Your job is about worship, where we praise God's name in our workplace. How does that work? We serve others. We bend knee like Jesus to help our coworkers. We help others. 
where we proclaim that God has provided this for me. I have not earned this, where the money we earn from our job is about how generous we can be, how good of stewards we can be. It's where we do everything we can to show that God has provided for me and God is working in my life. Our work is about worship. Whatever you do in your work, do it to the glory of God. Our relationships are about worship. Our relationships are about how we disciple others and how we are discipled by others, where we submit to a life of discipleship, where we're being transformed from one one degree of glory to another. We are worshiping when we disciple. We are worshiping when we evangelize. We are worshiping when we encourage. We are worshiping when we grow. Be a conduit for the hunger of God, right? Have you ever been around those people that just seem to have hunger for God that exceeds yours? I know I frequently am around those people. And when I'm with them, I'm like, man, I want what you have. Our relationships are about worship. Finally, let me, last one here, uh, our recreation. Where we play is about our worship. Where we play is about our worship. God has given us good things of this earth for our joy. And that joy always rolls up to worship. So if you go camping, if that's your thing, right? I don't know why it is, but it's your thing. (laughs) Worship God in your camping, right? Katie and I discovered, man, we, we're resort people, right? <laughs> Which we're not surprised by. No one here is surprised by that. Someone was just talking to me about, they're, they're stoked about their Christmas gift. They got a portable porta potty for camping. And I'm like, man, I like real toilets that flush. And they're, they're, even the ones that have seat warmers, man, you ever been on those? That doesn't happen when you're camping. When you're hiking, when you're hanging out with friends, when you're sitting by a fire, when you're enjoying good art, when you're watching a good movie, when you're listening to good music, when laughter erupts, this is about God's good gift to us where he is sustaining us and he is providing for us and he is showing us who he is. And that's meant to roll up into worship. It's not supposed to terminate on us. We're supposed to walk away from that place thankful, thankful that God would be so generous to us. Our recreation is about worship. I want our church to declare God and God alone is our highest good, and we would get after God in worship this year. Now, who is this God? Let me just rehearse for a second who the scriptures declare our God to be. Our scriptures say that God is infinite, which means he is self-existing and without origin. Our scriptures say God is immutable, which means he never changes, right? That ministers to me in a year like 2020 where everything's changing always. Our God is rock solid and steady and he is present in our lives and he is not changing. Our God is self-sufficient. He has no need and he has everything it takes to provide for our needs. Our God is omnipotent, which means he is all powerful. He possesses all powerful power and he will never be overcome. Our God is omniscient, which means he knows all and God is never surprised. You will never find God with his jaw dropped to the floor because something shocked him. He is never surprised. He is omnipresent, which means he is everywhere at all times. Listen to me, Christian. God is already in tomorrow. He is not bound by time and he is already working on your behalf in tomorrow. So you can sleep easy tonight without worry and anxiety because God's already there working. God is omnipresent. God is wise, which means God always brings about the perfect 
perfect ends by the perfect means. Our God is faithful, which means he cannot deny himself, he cannot deny his word, and he cannot deny his promises. When you read your Bible, it is true and it is unchanging. Our God is good, which means he is good and does good, and his inclination is to be kind to his children. Our God is just, which means everything he does is perfect and right. He never makes a mistake. Our God is merciful. He is compassionate and kind when we sin against him. Our God is gracious, which means the, his heart beats to spare the guilty of their sin. Our God is loving. His heart is bound up to his people, and we cannot be separated from his heart of love. And our God is holy, spotless, and per, uh, perfect. Finally, our God is glorious, infinitely beautiful, and perfect. This is who the scriptures invite us to know and to worship. Let us declare our God alone is our highest good and may all of our life be about his glory and his worship. Get after God in worship. Number two, get after our sin in war. Our worship of God will most naturally flow down into a desired holiness to be like God. Listen, the truth is we cannot get close to God and stay close to our sin, right? The closer we get to God, the further away we get from our sin and our flesh and our desire to walk in a lifestyle of sinfulness. As we encounter a holy God, we want to become like this holy God in our daily lives. So let's go back to the text. Let's see the meat of this sandwich. Look at verses two through four with me. Paul writes, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ, who is the image of God. Right here in the middle of worshiping God, Paul is contending for a holy life where he begins like this. Because we're called to worship God, because this is our assignment, we now renounce, which is to say we depart from and we publicly declare we are no longer living a life of disgraceful and underhanded ways. We are not deceitful. We are not people who practice cunning, but rather, or we're not manipulators, but rather we are truth tellers and we are full of integrity. Paul even goes so far as to say, listen, I'll put myself on display in the sight of all of you before God for him to search me and to see that I am going after a holy life. Paul is so zealous to be like his holy God. He says, I will stand before him in judgment. Paul says, who acts in an unholy manner? He says, those who have been blinded by the gods of this world, those who have not seen the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he says, they are perishing. Now, what does this mean for us? Listen, first of all, if you're, if you're not a Christian, here's what this means for you. God's inviting you to himself right now. He's saying, I am gracious and merciful and kind. The gods of this unbeliever, they're gonna, or the gods of this world, they're gonna darken your mind, they're gonna lead you astray, but hey, there's life in me. Light shines into darkness. Turn from your sin and trust in me. If you are a believer, here's what this means for us. When we see our sin, 
When our sin is revealed to us, we attack our sin. We kill our sin. We renounce our sin and we run to Jesus instead. And we do it over and over and over and over again, which is why the Christian life is not a life of one-time repentance, but a life of constant repentance. Where our sin is revealed, we turn from it and we run back to Jesus. And this is good for us, right? I don't know about you, but oftentimes I just kind of feel off in my life, right? Like something's going on. Maybe my relationships are strained. Maybe I feel like my, my efforts to get in God's word, like the, the word is not coming to life for me. Maybe prayer is just unmoving for me. Maybe my efforts to disciple and evangelize are, are not effective. And then oftentimes I, I kind of root around in that, like what's going on in my heart? What's going on in my mind? And oftentimes I've found that I've given into the flesh and I've given into sin and that sin has driven a wedge between me and God, which is why the word feels dead, which is why prayer feels dead because I am not actively trying to kill and defeat my sin. Listen, John Owen, the Puritan said famously, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. So this is why it's good for us. Where we get after our sin, we turn again to worship of God because it gives us life and joy and hope, all the things that we're truly desiring. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to jump into the weeds again here for a second but I also want to get a little bit personal, all right? So in about three weeks, it's going to be two years on the ground in Rancho for me. And it's going to be about a a year and some change that we've existed as a local church. And in that time, in in leading home groups, and in counseling relationships, and discipling relationships, and meetings, and hearing stories from other groups, um, I've begun to notice, and I've consulted some other trusted people at the church, hey, there's some themes of sin that Story Church has a bent towards, okay? And so I'm not gonna call anyone out. Don't be afraid here. But what I wanna do is consider, man, if sin's gonna get us as a church, where's that, where's that gonna be? What's that gonna look like? And I want this to, to convict us. I know it convicted me over the past couple of weeks as I've molded this over and I've had opportunity after opportunity to repent for these things that I have a tendency towards, okay? So I've got eight things Whoa. Hey, we're good, right? We're hanging in there? The the kids aren't, but that's okay. Give them some candy. All right. I'm going for it. Number one. Number one, nationalism. Now, maybe it's because we're coming off an election year. Maybe we're coming off a particularly divisive election year. But here's what I mean by nationalism. I have seen on both sides of the political aisle, what's everyone looking up at? Oh, man. He's after us. All right. It's Russia. Um, It's not Russia. Shouldn't have said that. All right. People on both sides of the political aisle acting as if their life depends on who's in office and acting as if their worship is dependent upon who's in office and living lives of despair when their person doesn't get elected or living lives of exuberance when their person does get elected. Listen, listen, one day America's gonna be gone. We understand this, right? Right, Rome's no longer here. Persia, ever heard of it? Greece, right? 
These empires, those are not empires. America is not an empire. One day, America will not exist. But you know what will exist when America doesn't? The kingdom of God. And it is still existing and has always existed. The church has stood strong through every nation and every empire, whether persecution or not, whether religious freedom or not, whether the government is in their favor or not. Our hope is not in who's in office. Our hope is in who's on the throne. Listen, church, don't give in to the lie that says your worship in life is dependent upon who's sitting in the White House. That is not true. Take heart. Jesus reigns supreme. We can repent of that wherever you find yourself politically. Number two, independence or apathy towards God. Man, I, I've seen all too often in my life that when things are troubled and things are hard, God becomes a puppet for me to master for my good. But when things are smooth sailing, man, God, it's almost like he doesn't exist. And it shows in, in how I worship. It shows in how I approach the word. It shows in how I pray. It shows in how I participate in community. We can repent of not desiring God above all things. Let me keep going here individualism, trying to sort life out on our own. Man, we live in America. It's a radically individualistic life. It's a radically individualistic country where I exist for me, you exist for you. Let's not step on each other's toes. And when we do, we're going to act like it didn't exist in the name of tolerance. It's baloney. The scriptures are written in the plural. We worship a plural God, three persons, one essence. We are called to live a life of community, dependent upon each other, bearing each other's burdens, honest, transparent, vulnerable, living life together. Number four, greed. Greed. Making our highest aim in life to get more money and to get more stuff. We use God as a capitalistic means. Listen, here's a good question, thought experiment to play with yourself. If I lived in a country where following God was not beneficial for my job and my bank account, would I still follow God? Are you tracking with me? You keeping up with where I'm going there? Go live in Venezuela or Cuba or North Korea and still follow Jesus. And then you will know that greed is not compatible with the Christian life. Because that's where you get punished for following Jesus. Using God as a means for capitalism is the most disgusting of sins. Materialism, the endless pursuit of satisfaction in stuff, right? Here's where envy plays into that, where we're always trying to keep up with the Joneses, right? Just trying to get the next thing. And literally in my home group, I'm trying to keep up with the Joneses, right? Because Ben can do everything. And I'm like, Ben, come to my house and fix stuff for me. The offer's there, buddy. endlessly trying to get more stuff and belongings and bigger homes and more cars and better cars and, and, and the newest of the new instead of living a life of radical generosity. Number six, sexual sin. It's a big one. Lust, porn, masturbation, adultery. Listen, sexual sin is enticing but never fulfilling. Every time we give into sexual sin, we feel filthy afterwards. And God wants us to feel filthy because he alone can truly satisfy that longing of our heart 
We need not give in to any of those things because God truly satisfies us. Number seven, gossip. Gossip is simply talking about other people, not to other people, right? All too often in a particularly divisive year like 2020, I would find myself in and around conversations where we're talking about people instead of to people. You disagree on masks, talk about it. You disagree on the election, talk about it. You disagree on this, that, or the other, whatever it might be, talk about it. Don't talk about people, talk to people. Do not gossip, right? Number eight, this is the final one, self-focus. Again, this is all tied together. Self-focus, it's just using this phrase, I deserve. I deserve this, I deserve that, I deserve more, I deserve whatever am I, it's all about me. I I need to be the best and I need to look the best. I need everyone to be wowed by me. My life is not about existing for others, but my life is about existing for me. And listen, you make a terrible God. So do I. Stop focusing on our, listen, so many of our problems, so many things that we're caught up in, all the anxiety of our hearts, I'm convinced would be solved if we just stopped looking at ourselves and started looking out, out at others. We just look at ourselves and we get caught up in our circumstances. And dep- Listen, take your eyes off yourself for a millisecond and see what Jesus is doing. These are the things, church, and, and, and there's more, that I want us to identify, repent of, and kill together. Why? Because I want us to get more of God. Listen, my calling, church, as your pastor, is not to be an expert on everything in this world. I don't need to be an expert on science. I don't need to be an expert on vaccines. I don't need to be an expert on constitutional law. I don't need to be an expert on any of those things. You know what I need to be an expert in? Christ and him crucified in our place so that we can get more of God. That's what I want. That's why we gather. That's why we sing. That's why we pray. That's why we meet. That's why we're in community so we can get more of God and our sin always drives a wedge between us and God so we can corporately and individually repent and say, God, I want more of you. God, I confess that all too often I exchange your beauty your majesty, and your worth for worthless things, for the gods of this world. I confess that all too often I give in to my flesh and my sin. So God, I ask for your forgiveness. And I ask on behalf of Story Church, God, will we not be a people who play with sin, see how close to the edge we can get, but rather we would be a people who, like Paul, are zealous for holiness because we are close to a holy God. And Father, I ask that uh, as a result of of repentance and a result of confession, um, that we would see you again as a kind and a merciful and a gracious Father, deserving, and you alone deserving of our worship. Pray all this in your blessed name. Amen.